part two of our series on John Wayne Gacy, The Killings Continue. Today, we'll follow the adventures of Pogo the Clown as he finds, tortures, and murders several more innocent young men. At one point, Gacy's crawl space is so filled with corpses that he must resort to other means to hide the bodies. On top of this, police speculation of Gacy continues to rise. Their investigation and nonstop surveillance of Gacy leads to a drunken confession to his own attorneys. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought having John Wayne in studio last week was annoying, stick around. There's a whole lot more where that came from, Pilgrim. This is Necronomapod. In Des Plaines, Illinois, near Chicago, a man who served time in prison for sex crimes was let out. Today, they found the bodies of at least three young boys buried under his house. He is charged with murder. Here's Jim Cummings. Police have been watching John Gacy's suburban Chicago home for the past 10 days. They became suspicious when 15-year-old Robert Peast disappeared after he allegedly was last seen with Gacy. This morning, police searched Gacy's home and found the decomposed remains of three bodies in a dirt crawl space under the house. They suspect there are several more bodies buried here. Jim Cummins, NBC News, Des Plaines, Illinois. So you guys, I took a pee break and I fucking come out and you guys are already jumping into pet peeves. What are, we, what are you guys talking about over here? Well, you gave us a heads up on how you were going to start the show. We were just uh, spitballing a little bit, waiting for you. Yeah, we had a recommendation in Discord uh, from a listener. Wanted us to hear uh, hear us talk about some pet peeves, and clearly you guys are rolling. So what do you got? I got, you lo- just, I got just long lists of Maybe stuff. read through about five or six of them. I got uh, PG-13 horror movies. Terrible. Why? Yeah, that's why? stupid. Uh, I got country music. Terrible. No. <laughs> <laughs> So all of country music is a pet peeve. I just, I just okay. don't know why it exists in the world. Okay. Like I agree with country that. music. Why, like why? Well, it's pretty damn popular. Uh, well done steaks. It's, it's not a good one. That is a very good one. People who like to eat at Red Lobster. Terrible. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> like it's not good. You're a Red Lobster. Like find a real seafood restaurant. Like Red what Lobster, fuck is wrong with you? Red Lobster is like the Applebee's of like it. It's terrible. Like, you can find something that you can eat there. But like you it's don't not good. Like you don't brag about going to Red Lobster. Yeah, but Red Lobster having yeah. overcooked like lobster, you can bounce off the <laughs> right. table because it's right. fucking cooked three I times mean, as long as you it can go to be. McDonald's and get a filet fish. It's the same. Yeah, thing. there's better quality. Yeah. The filet fish. Actually, filet fish is fucking delicious. Actually, I don't know why. Uh, I'm well, I guess uh, lack of critical thinking. I don't appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> people who barbecue on gas grills. I, really. Uh, ketchup on hot dogs. We already talked about that one. Uh, people leave their dogs out barking all day. Amen. Oh, yeah. Amen. Yeah. I mean, this one's specific. People in Ohio that fly Confederate flags, like people that fly Confederate flags to begin with, are terrible. But you're in Ohio, like you're, you're no in, which in side a union of the Mason state. Like, line. why are you flying a Confederate flag? So you're not only a racist asshole, you're an idiot on top of that. Right. So it compounds <laughs> it compounds well, my pet peeve. Well, I would argue if you're flying that flag, period, you're probably an idiot well, on top of a racist true. asshole. Then uh like that's all I'm at. Oh, I got one more. Uh blowjobs that don't incorporate the balls. Like, that's no good. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say blowjobs that don't incorporate you pooping. Well <laughs> that's, that's a very specific scenario, my friend. Stop that. But like you're down there, like why are you skipping the balls? Can't do that. Am I right? Preach. Well, I, truer words, my friend. 
<laughs> Don't even waste your time if you're not going to incorporate the balls. <laughs> like, wait, women and men, quit being lazy. Incorporate the balls. It's just laziness. It's fucking one hand. That's all you need. So That's just a few of mine. Just a few. <laughs> it's just a peek in the Dave's mind. <laughs> Ian, what do you got? I like, the, I like the randomness of the Red Lobster one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one really just popped in my head. <laughs> Ian, what do you got? The first one that popped in my head was just because it happened to me yesterday. When you're at a four-way stop sign and the other person has the right-of-way, but they just wave you on anyways, I can't stand that. I'm like, you you have the right-of-way. Just drive your drive your vehicle. <laughs> How dare you, you be nice to Ian? You're wasting time here. Just drive. Yeah, he's 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 exactly right because people do that a lot. I, I don't disagree. They pull up. They like they're there three seconds before you. Then you pull up and they go, oh, go go ahead. But if you would have just went and you weren't a dumb motherfucker, I would I wouldn't have had to wait at all. You I would have just whole process been gone. by waving and you know now I have to look and see that you're waving yeah. and then we go and then it's like a whole start and stop gimmick yeah. and you're throwing fuck you you're throwing a meanwhile the guy with the, the the truck and the Confederate flag has already blown through the stop sign by waiting for us <laughs> so he's fucking peeling out trying to go buy his you're stopping new dip. the cog it's not it's not spinning things aren't working properly when you do that as you were Ian keep pontificating. Uh... I can't really think of any other ones off that the top of my head. That was his only one. That's it. He's ready to kill someone over that. <laughs> and then don't stand too close to him. Yeah, don't stand too close also, to Also, don't ask him to go camping. Yeah, well, do not ask me to go camping. And don't eat cookies at the end of a long night it's drinking true. with Ian. He won't Ooh. like that either. Ooh. Well, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, you know what the other... There's an odd thing that really drives me fucking nuts. Is if you put soap, like liquid soap on something dry, I can't fucking handle that at all. Like if you're washing, like if you just like grab a dirty plate and start putting liquid soap on it before water is even running, I don't know why, but it drives me absolutely <laughs> nuts. Very specific. I don't. Yeah. I don't disagree. I think. I think I'm okay. Or like, like if I'm washing my hands, first. I have. Yeah. Yeah. You, like you, if I'm washing my hands, I got to get them wet first. Yeah. You don't put soap on dry hands. No. So you disgusting. don't like to go in dry. I get that. Well, who does? <laughs> who does, Dave? <laughs> That's all I got. Not on this battlefield. All right, I'll run through a quick list of mine. Uh, people who don't use turn signals, fuck you. Use a blinker. It's rude. People who boil hot or uh, microwave hot dogs, fuck you. That's the most disgusting way to ruin a hot dog. What if you don't have time? Fucking, no, don't eat hot dogs. Then open up a can of spaghettios and eat those. Don't microwave a hot dog. That's okay. just disgusting. Right. That's when they get like the tumors on them. They get all plump and that's fat. That's true. Um, obviously, we discussed this in a past episode when people when uh, cashiers give you the bills first and then the change. Don't do that. Mortal sin. Sure. Change first sure. and the cash. People who say scenario instead of scenario. <laughs> you should be punched in the face for that. People who drive too slow. Don't like that. Get out mm. of the fast lane. Get I, out of the way. I agree with that. You're, you're not being safe. You are a moving chicane and you are causing danger to everyone else out there. Don't drive fucking slow. I just bump them and I push them out of the there way. There you go. Hey, that's the way, brother. Um, people who say that wrestling's fake and then I don't mind that you don't like wrestling. That's okay. But then don't tell me wrestling's fake. And then that your favorite movie is Grey's Anatomy or your favorite show is Grey's Anatomy or the walking dead or Seinfeld or friends, you know, all shows that are fake. <laughs> Just saying, okay. uh, I don't like when I text or email someone and they call me in response. Uh, Fuck you. No. There's a reason why I sent you a message. I will purposely ignore your call. And then text you back or email you back. <laughs> don't don't call me. Uh, I don't like when non-beer drinkers or beer drinkers who only drink very casually insult IPA. 
motherfucker, you're not going to go up and tell Barry Bonds how to do his home run stance and, uh, you know, how to swing a bat. Let the beer drinkers worry about what the good beer is. Does this include me when I insult IPAs? No, because, Dave, you're actually a beer drinker. Okay. Like, I mean, you drink your alcohol. I do. The, the people who casually or like their their only drink is like the fucking line and Kugel, like Shandies or okay. whatever. Like, step off. Let the professionals handle their alcohol. Just saying. <laughs> uh, people who still think Facebook is cool. It's not. <laughs> it's for like your parents and older folk. It's not like the hip thing anymore. You might you could still be on it. That's fine. It's just not cool anymore. And I just need you to know that uh, people who bring beer to parties, but like just bring the 12 pack. Not a cooler. Mm. Like, don't walk around with a 12-pack. Your beer is getting warm all night. Bring well, a fucking cooler or ask to put it in the fridge. Well, and they're rude, and they assume there's going to be f- room in the fridge for their beer. But I don't even mind if they ask for that. Mm. Like, that's fine. Don't just, like, set it down, though, and, like, drink from that all night. Mm. Your beer is getting warm. It's going to get all sweaty. True. Uh, eating in bed or eating in the shower. Don't like any of that. Don't fucking do it. It's gross. <laughs> it's weird. Just saying. I came prepared tonight. I think right? that's all I had. Oh, and then I learned uh, by doing our Patreon that I have a lot of pet peeves with that uh, involves our Discord, but I'm not going to call people out because I don't want to uh, ignite a riot. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because then people just start doing the shit that pisses me off. That's even true. More. There's a lot of things that people do in Discord that are pet peeves of mine. Hmm. Hmm. He doesn't like when you tag everyone in post because it blows up his phone. <laughs> I really hate it for meaningless messages. Don't do it. please. They're like, Oh, good morning, everyone. And then Mike's like, Oh, you're up out of bed. Well, That's no, great. In all fairness, I have all my notifications turned off. Oh, okay. so I don't see it, but it's still, maybe we should say like, that. Oh, so look, you don't, look you what don't, I'm having for lunch. Everyone. It's a hot dog with ketchup on it. Oh, great. Well, don't get me wrong. I'm all for a hot dog pick. <laughs> oh, all right. But I'm just saying anyways, now I'm going to be the most, I'm even more so the most hated one of this show when we fucking piss <laughs> off our loyal fan base. I do not like the at everyone usage in the discord. All right. I guess that's all mine. All right, Ian, where do we pick up? I believe we had just introduced a clown. Yeah. Last week we, uh, we left with Gacy creating his infamous character, Pogo the clown. He performed as Pogo at numerous local parties, political functions, charitable charitable events, and children's hospitals. His other clown character, Patches, was used at the grand opening of stores of his PDM clients. Gacy designed his own clown costumes and taught himself how to apply the clown makeup. His clown makeup is, is pretty interesting because from what I was reading, there's a whole psychology behind clown makeup. And if you go to clown school how to do your makeup and you want all like the smile and around the eyes and everything you want it all to be rounded because it it's welcome i guess there's like, like, a, like some a psychology happier... yeah it's more welcoming it's less you know well it's... you don't want to look like a fucking juggalo well it softens the look right right and if you look at gacy as pogo everything is jagged and like sharp points is there any video out? i've seen the pictures is there a video of him uh Doing the clown show anywhere? I'm not sure. I didn't see that anywhere. I'd be interested. Yeah, he is a terrifying looking motherfucker. And I'm just gonna say, if you want your profession, if like that's your goal in life to be a clown, you're a high. That's a highly suspect, uh, <laughs> suspect field to go down. Damn, pal. <laughs> I'm just tell bozo that. Yeah, you just I'm alienated. Just saying. You know, that's half our our fan base. I think are clowns. <laughs> Gacy was also known to occasionally remain in his clown costume after a performance. 
On several occasions, he is known to arrive dressed in his clown outfit at his favorite bar, the Good Luck Lounge, with the explanation that he had performed a charitable event and was stopping for a drink before heading home. I believe that's called a cool-down beer in these circles. (laughs) (laughs) Gacy later stated acting as a clown allowed him to, quote, regress into childhood. By 1975, Gacy had told his wife that he was bisexual. After the couple had sex on Mother's Day that year, he informed her that this would, quote, be the last time they would ever have sex. He began spending most of his evenings away from home, only to return in the early hours of the morning with the excuse that he had been working late. I regret to inform you, Mrs. Gacy, that Pogo will no longer be placing his stick inside you. (laughs) It's... Yeah, and they stayed married for a while after that too. He was a good you guy. Know, That's pretty fucked up. And he, I mean, and the thing, the weird thing too with him is like he was very adamant that he was not gay. That he would not admit that at all. What was the his wife's reasoning? Like, you already have all these suspicions about the way he's acting, coming home late. You know, we're about to talk about you know seeing these kind of. Uh, clues of young boys being around, and now he's telling you he's never going to fuck you again. Why at that point do you not just say, motherfucker, bye? Well, he was uh, providing. I mean, he was a semi-wealthy guy at this point. And he was so you think that's it's well. like she's just, just because of that, like just he's going to take care of me mm. and the kids? I mean, he was making $200,000 a year in 1975 money. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I understand maybe that's it. I'm just wondering if, you know, was it because she was just getting provided for her or? You know, yeah, I mean, she I mean, was she's divorced. eventually going to leave here in a few, little while. So, but I, yeah. why not leave right then when he fucking tells you he's not going to have sex with you? Well, and I think we should be careful characterizing him here. He was a a pedophile. I mean, I don't know that he was necessarily a gay man, right? He was a pedophile. Yeah, he was a pedophile that liked yeah. little boys, and that's not right. the same thing. He wasn't just a straight up gay man. Yeah. He was a pedophile. Very true. His wife observed Gacy bringing teenage boys into his garage and also found gay pornography in men's wallets and identification cards inside the house. When she once confronted Gacy about these items, like who these belonged to, he angrily informed her that the property was none of her business. Just straight up fuck off. Yeah. Like Mrs. Brudos finding, uh, was it the... The, the nipples on the mantle. Remember that? Uh, oh, yeah. The, the, was it like a paperweight? Wasn't paperweight it? Like made out of a breast or a nipple? Yeah. Can that go to ne- the Necronomapod store? Can we make like little rubber nipple paperweights on Amazon? <laughs> Jesus. Why not? Why not? <laughs> you put that on your store, pal. <laughs> People will fucking buy that. I'm telling you right now. All right, I'm going to talk to my nipple guy. He's going to get me some paperweights. <laughs> I got a guy. Let, I got us, a guy. let us know. Yeah. Well, no, my money's coming to me solely if it's on my store. You guys ain't seeing shit of that money. You and that mustache over there. Yeah. I got a nipple guy. People with mustaches have nipple guys. <laughs> In May of 1975, Gacy hired 15-year-old Anthony Antonucci. In July of 1975, Gacy went to Antonucci's home. The two drank a bottle of wine, then watched a heterosexual stag film before Gacy wrestled Antonucci to the floor and cuffed his hands behind his back. One cuff was loose, and Antonucci freed his arm while Gacy was out of the room. When Gacy returned, Antonucci, which this kid was a high school wrestler and was extremely strong, jumped on Gacy. He wrestled Gacy to the floor, got the handcuff key, and cuffed Gacy's hands behind his back. Gacy at first threatened Antonucci, then calmed down and and promised to leave if Antonucci would remove the handcuffs. Antonucci agreed, and Gacy left. 
later on, Antonucci recalled that Gacy told him, quote, not only are you the only one who got out of the cuffs, you got them on me. Imagine if Antonucci didn't let him go. It would have ended right there. What would have changed? Yeah. Yeah. He, he probably shouldn't have and just called the fucking cops. Right. But, yeah. I mean, you know, he's a 15-year-old kid. He doesn't. He's yeah. scared. He just wants to get away from the situation. Plus, high school wrestling. What's that? That's fake. Like, you can't even jump off the top rope in high school wrestling. I mean, if you. <laughs> That's not real wrestling. You can't power bomb a motherfucker through yeah. a table. What are you. Are you. You're wasting your time. What are you going to do? Just, like, grapple a guy? <laughs> Pin his shoulders to the mat? Ooh, that's impressive. A one, a one count? Yeah. That's not even a real count. Motherfucker, do a moonsault off the top rope. Now I'm watching. <laughs> but, of course, my wrestling's fake. <laughs> One week after the attempted assault on Antonucci on July 31st, 1975, another of Gacy's employees, an 18-year-old from Lombard, John Bukovich, disappeared. Bukovich's car was found parked near the corner of Sheridan and Lawrence with his jacket and wallet inside and the keys still in the ignition. Days before the disappearance, Bukovich had confronted Gacy over two weeks of outstanding back pay. Bukovich's father... A Yugoslav immigrant called Gacy, who claimed he was happy to help search for his son, but was sorry Bukovic had, quote, run away. When questioned by the police, Gacy said that Bukovic and two friends had arrived at his house demanding the overdue pay, but that a compromise had been reached and all three had left. Over the following three years, Bukovic's parents called the police more than a hundred times, urging them to investigate Gacy further, but they never did. Well, here's another instance where it quite possibly could have ended. Can you imagine being those parents? A hundred times you call them, yeah. and they're just not doing jack shit about it. I mean, and looking back at this, it's very sloppy, and it's a case of you know shitting where you eat. Like he's picking off people he that work for him. Like it's just not smart. Do you think it had a lot to do with his personality though? Like he was like a political leader. He was a friendly. He thought guy. he was untouchable. He was a yeah. successful business. So the police were just like, nah. I mean, I think that's part that's of old. it. That's old. That's old. John Gacy. Yeah. We, we go sure. to parties at his house all the time. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's, you know, 30 fucking corpses in his attic. Oof. We didn't get to that part, yeah. Teaser. <laughs> <laughs> Gacy later admitted to encountering Bukovich exiting his car at the corner of West Lawrence Avenue and waving to attract his attention. He invited Bukovich back to his home to settle the issue of his overdue pay. His wife and stepchildren were visiting his younger sister, in Arkansas. Gacy offered Bukovic a drink and then tricked him into allowing his wrist to be cuffed behind his back. I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't know how this happens. Yeah, I don't I don't get what was so persuasive about him that he would get these kids to do that. Well, they're young they're kids and they're drinking. I mean, they're already you know, yeah. inebriated. And he's just saying, oh, let's play a game. Let me show you, you know, how I do this. I guess. I don't think it'd be. I, I don't know. I don't think it's that far-fetched. I just, there's zero chance that ever anyone would ever get me to do this. But you're a grown adult man. It's very intelligent. These are young boys. I, I impressionable just, even at boys that age, I don't, I, you don't I think don't if know. you had like your first couple drinks that you had ever had in your life, you're hanging out with a very powerful man. You're now buzzed. And he's just saying like, let me show you something. Oh man. I mean, it's I'm easy just to very say claustrophobic and I just, I, well, okay. I, I don't, I just don't that. see myself going for that, but yeah, I point taken. I agree. I'm pretty claustrophobic, too. I wouldn't like the idea. Well, I've been in handcuffs. So listen up, cops. You ever try to cuff me, we're going to have a fucking problem. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> that could come back and hurt you in court. 
<laughs> Gacy said he, quote, sat on the kid's chest for a while before he strangled him. He initially stored Bukovic's body in his garage, intending to later bury the body in the crawl space. When his wife and stepdaughters returned to Illinois earlier than expected, Gacy buried the body under the concrete floor of the garage. And then again, just a reminder from last week, Gacy was a big, thick guy. Like, sitting on your chest, you're not going to be able to breathe. Oh, he's a big fat yeah. ass, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. How tall? He was pretty short, too, right? Just short and, like, thick. Yeah, like your typical Chicago-looking gentleman. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah. for real. <laughs> short, thick mustache, you know. Yeah. The bears, that guy. Yeah. Probably fucking, <laughs> like, deep-dish pizza, like all those pieces of shit. <laughs> In addition to being the year of his business expanding, Gacy freely admitted 1975 was when he also began to increase the frequency of his searches for sex with young males. He often referred to these searches as, quote, cruising. Following a heated argument regarding her failing to balance a checkbook correctly in October of 1975, Carol Gacy asked her husband for a divorce. So... She there finally you go, had Mike. enough of this shit. She's done. All that over a, a checkbook thing. Yeah. Like, oh, it wasn't Final straw. It wasn't sleeping with underage boys or dressing like a clown or not having sex with me. This is a fucking checkbook. She was a stickler for uh, Just saying. numbers. Just saying. Gacy agreed to his wife's request, although by mutual consent, Carol continued to live at 8213 West Somerdale until February of 1976 when she and her daughters moved into their own apartment. One month later, on March 2nd, Gacy's divorce was finalized. For the most part, Gacy remained his normal, charming self, but several neighbors noticed erratic changes in his behavior after his 1976 divorce. This included keeping company with young males, hearing his car arrive or leave in the early hours of the morning, or seeing lights in his home switch on and off in the early hours. One neighbor later recollected for several years she and her son had repeatedly been awoken by sounds of muffled, high-pitched screaming, shouting, and crying in the early morning hours, which she and her son identified as coming from a house adjacent to theirs on Somerdale Avenue. Oh, but we didn't bother telling anyone, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, you might want to call the police if you, uh. if you repeatedly hear that stuff. I will forever think of seeing lights in the home switch on and off in the early morning hours. Uh, that will forever remind me of the John Benet Ramsey story, uh, where wasn't it the one neighbor said he saw like a light on in the kitchen at like twelve o'clock between twelve and two, yeah, yeah, which would have been yeah. about the time that they thought maybe sh somebody could have been eating pineapple at the table or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. Know. I always go back to the John Benet one because just because that story intrigues me so much. But I will forever think of lights on in the middle of the night. Yeah, I will think about that story. Coincidentally, parts one through four are available in the Necronomapod archives. So, <laughs> nailed there it. More, more infringement. <laughs> I think that's my new there's, my new thing is infringing on Mike's bits. Taking all my shit. Yeah. Well, good luck, Pally. One month after his divorce was finalized, Gacy abducted and murdered 18-year-old Daryl Sampson. Sampson was last seen alive in Chicago on April 6, 1976. He was buried under the dining room with a section of cloth lodged in his throat. Five weeks later, on May 14th, 15-year-old Randall Reffitt disappeared while walking home from Sen High School. Reffitt died of asphyxiation. His body was buried in the crawl space. Hours after Reffitt had been abducted, 14-year-old Samuel Stapleton vanished as he walked to his home from his sister's apartment. 
Investigators later stated they believe both victims were murdered in the same evening. Guys having a fucking divorce party. Yeah. Going nuts. On June 3rd, 1976, Gacy killed a 17-year-old Lakeview teenager named Michael Bonin. He disappeared while traveling from Chicago to Waukegan and was strangled with a ligature and buried beneath Gacy's spare bedroom. Ten days later, a 16-year-old uptown boy named William Carroll was murdered and buried in the crawl space. Carroll seems to have been the first of four males known to have been murdered between June 13th and August 6th, 1976. Three were between 16 and 17 years old, and one identified murder victim appears to have been an adult. Just stopping like in the middle here. He he had those first two murders in 72, 74, and then as soon as that divorce happened, it was go time for him. He's picking it's up just uh, like, quite a speed, quite a pace here. On July 26, 1976, Gacy picked up 18-year-old David Cram as the teenager hitchhiked on Elliston Avenue. Gacy offered Cram a job with PDM, and Cram began working for his firm the same evening. On August 21st, Cram moved into his house. The following day, Gacy, dressed as Pogo the Clown, tricked Cram into putting on handcuffs while Cram was drunk. Can you fucking imagine? Hey, I'm Pogo. I'm going to handcuff you. Terrifying. You must have been fucking wasted to let him do that. Gacy swung Cram around while holding the chain linking the cuffs, then said he intended to rape him. Cram kicked Gacy in the face and freed himself from the handcuffs. One month later, Gacy appeared at Cram's bedroom door with the intention to rape him, saying, quote, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good if you just give me what I want. Jesus fucking Christ. A month later, what the fuck is he still doing there? Yeah, this kid needed to move the fuck out. I don't know why this kid stayed there. Like, if you have to kick this guy to get out of there? And he's dressed as a fucking clown? Unbelievable. The whole time? Like, so, uh, Even if he's not dressed as a clown, he's handcuffed you and said he's intending to rape you. Motherfucker, yeah. go home. Man, <laughs> go home. God. Cram resisted and wrestled Gacy to the ground, straddling him. And Gacy gave up and left the bedroom saying, quote, you ain't no fun. Shortly thereafter, Cram moved out and left PDM, although he did periodically work for Gacy over the following two years. This kid is not winning the Common Sense Award. I think Gacy's probably overpaying people, and that's how he's getting people to that's stick a good around. Point Between that and the alcohol, yeah, yeah, they get to go get drunk and party, and you know he's probably showing them a good time mm-hmm. up until the part where you know yeah. he puts his penis in you. I think that's part of it. <laughs> it's always good till you get the penis. That's what all my girlfriends have said. <laughs> Jeez. shortly after cram moved out of gacy's house another employee 18 year old michael rossi moved in rossi had worked for pdm contractor since may of 1976 he lived with gacy until april of 1977 it's like a revolving door of just people in and out yeah there's no stories of anything like that anything like what happened to david cram happening Mm. On August 5th, 1976, a 16-year-old Minnesota boy named James Hakinson is last known to have phoned his family. He was murdered and buried in the crawl space beneath the body of 17-year-old Bensfield boy named Rick Johnston, who was last seen alive on August 6th. Two further unidentified males are estimated to have been killed by Gacy between August and October 
1976. On October 24, 1976, Gacy abducted and killed teenage friends Kenneth Parker and Michael Marino. The two were last seen outside a restaurant on Clark Street. So this is the part of the story where we just like breeze through like all these killings. Like this is just where he just goes on a tear, essentially, right? Yeah, that's what like, like he's divorced, we he's ready to go. He's we're just gonna get through all these. He just hits this like I don't like they they say like you know there's a lot of guys where it's like they kill a couple, they kill a few people, and then at the end they like hit that berserker mode where they just go on a rampage. But his is weird. Like he he killed the one kid. And then one a couple years later, and then just something clicked in his head where he just, it was like nonstop for the next two years. He's on the warpath now. Two days later, a 19-year-old construction employee, William Bundy, disappeared after informing his family he was to attend a party. Bundy died of suffocation. His body was buried beneath Gacy's master bedroom, and apparently he had worked for Gacy at some point. Again, with the people that work for him. There's... That's how they get well, he gets you in, right? Like that's it. He's gonna pay you well. It just has to leave a trail to you. I think it all it just doesn't like, make sense. Right. I agree. In December of nineteen seventy six, another PDM employee, seventeen year old Gregory Godzik, disappeared. He was last seen by his girlfriend outside her house after he had, had driven her home following a date. Godzik had worked for PDM for only three weeks before he disappeared. He had informed his family that Gacy had him, quote, dig trenches for some kind of drain tiles in his crawl space. There's a literal trail right back to this guy <laughs> from every fucking direction. <laughs> there really is. God's a car was later found abandoned in Niles. His parents and older sister, Eugenia, contacted Gacy about Greg's disappearance. Gacy claimed to the family that Greg had run away from home, having indicated to Gacy before his disappearance that he wished to do so. Gacy also claimed to have received an answering machine message from Godzik shortly after he disappeared. When asked if he could play back the message to Godzik's parents, Gacy stated he had erased it. How convenient. Yeah. But this is now this is the second time he's used this excuse as a kid ran away that worked for him. It's like I don't understand how nobody put this stuff together sooner. Exactly. Well, it's it's what made me ask like is there just politics involved? Like, because he was a big name in the community, he was a successful businessman, he was a part of the Democratic Party, you know, did they just look the other way when these allegations came up or when all this information came up? Or Why did it take this long? Or is this just different parents reporting to different detectives and nothing's just tied together, which I think is often the case with, with police, right? Maybe, maybe it's that too. But, I mean, you're all in the same, like, what, district, right? It's the same house where they're, like, the same area, they're disappearing. But who knows who they're calling? Well, and just lazy ass cops. And, I mean, in this, and realistically, it's probably a mixture of all of that. Sure. Really. I mean, I know in the 70s and through the 80s, even into the 90s somewhat, it's it's always been a big criticism in these serial killer stories that the police departments just didn't talk to each other. I, they didn't share information. And they did, probably didn't have the mechanism to share information a lot of times in the old days. On January 20th, 1977, John Zick, a 19-year-old acquaintance of Bukovich and Godzik, disappeared. Zick was lured to Gacy's house on the pretext of selling his Plymouth satellite to Gacy, who later sold Zick's car to Michael Rossi for $300. Zick had recently purchased new license plates for his car, and his final paycheck remained with his employer. 
Between December 1976 and March 1977, Gacy is known to have killed an unidentified adult man. 20-year-old Michigan native John Prestige was visiting friends in Chicago when he disappeared on March 15th. Shortly before his disappearance, Prestige mentioned to friends he had obtained work with a local contractor. No cause of death could be determined for Prestige. He was buried in the northeast section of the crawl space. Gacy murdered one further unidentified boy and buried him in the crawl space in the spring or early summer of 1977, although the timing of this murder is inconclusive. On July 5, 1977, Gacy killed a 19-year-old from Crystal Lake named Matthew Bowman. Bowman was last seen by his mother at a suburban train station. You know who else killed a bunch of people from Crystal Lake? No, who? Who's that? Jason Voorhees. Damn. <laughs> they should document that. They should. the following month michael rossi was arrested for stealing gasoline from a service station while driving john zick's car the attendant noticed the light noted the license plate number and the police traced the car to gacy's house when questioned gacy told officers that zick had sold the car to him in february with the explanation he needed money to leave town a check of the vin number confirmed the car belonged to zick the police did not pursue the matter further, although they did inform Zick's mother that her son had sold the car to Gacy in February. It's just all leading to this guy, man. It if really is. Just like, put just, shit it's together. so much. It's frustrating to read about. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's hindsight, whatever. But like, there's just it. It points to one person, and he was sloppy as shit, and he didn't give a fuck. No. Nope. Like even in the past, we talked about like when guys start getting sloppy, that's their downfall. They get they get too cocky. And they get, you know, caught. Then they get caught. And this guy was just nonstop. I mean, let's be honest. We're only in part two of a three-part series. And so clearly this guy is going to go on for a little bit. By the end of 1977, Gacy is also known to have murdered an additional six young men between the ages of 16 and 21. The first of these six victims was 18-year-old Robert Gilroy, the son of a Chicago police sergeant who was last seen alive on September 15th. Gilroy lived just four blocks from Gacy, and he was buried in the crawl space. Mm-hmm. And you would think that that would put some fire under people in the police, you know, when this uh, cop's kid goes missing. But sure. They, he still yep. somehow managed to keep rolling with Unbelievable. this. Unbelievable. Plus, he was in his own neighborhood. Yep. On September 12, 1977, Gacy had flown to Pittsburgh to supervise a remodeling project and did not return to Chicago until September 16th. As Gacy is known to have been in another state at the time Gilroy was last seen, this is cited to support Gacy's claim of being assisted by one or more accomplices in several of these homicides. And head over to Patreon for our episode on the Chicago Ripper crew. Boom. Who are potentially maybe his associates, right? Uh, yeah, the head guy of the Ripper crew is It's very suspect that he helped Gacy. That would just that would a lot of blow this. this thing wide open. That'd be fucking yeah. wild. Those guys were sadistic, sick motherfuckers. Again, available. Was that a fucking Patreon episode? Yeah. yeah. Wow. We were fucking trying to kiss up to some motherfuckers at that point, I guess. <laughs> that should have been a Sunday show. We gave that shit on Patreon. Damn, you guys are yeah. lucky. You patrons are lucky if you heard that one. For those of you that are not, patreon.com slash Necronomapod. <laughs> Yeah, he, um, the guy that was the head, that was kind of like the ringleader of the Ripper crew, 
worked for Gacy's construction company for a long time. One and more he, thing, man. And he was quoted as saying something along the lines of Gacy did it wrong. He was too sloppy. Jesus. Ten days after Gilroy was last seen, 19-year-old former U.S. Marine John Mowry disappeared after leaving his mother's house to walk to his apartment. Mowry was strangled and buried beneath Gacy's master bedroom. On October 17th, 21-year-old Minnesota native Russell Nelson disappeared. He was last seen outside a Chicago bar. Nelson was in Chicago to look for contracting work. He was murdered and buried beneath Gacy's guest bedroom. Less than four weeks later, 16-year-old Kalamazoo teenager Robert Winch was murdered and buried in the crawl space. On November 18th, 20-year-old father of one Tommy Bowling disappeared after leaving a Chicago bar. A manic pace here. Yeah, it's just nonstop. Well, no one's closed in on you yet. You're doing all this. Like, you'd almost feel invincible. Yeah. Because he's probably like, you know, I'm so fucking sloppy. I'm killing people at work for me. No one's tying anything back to me. You're right. I'm invincible. Three weeks after the murder of Tommy Bowling on December 9th, 1977, a 19-year-old U.S. Marine named David Talsma disappeared after informing his mother he was to attend a rock concert in Hammond. Talisma was strangled with a ligature and buried in the crawl space close to the body of John Mowry. Uh, we st- I had a hotel in Hammond one night when we were spending the week in Chicago. And Hammond's in Indiana just before you get into Illinois. And we went to check in and there was bulletproof glass. Really? At the hotel in Hammond. And we said... We're going to cancel our reservations at this hotel tonight and drive all the way to Chicago. Jesus. <laughs> that was scary. How far is it from Hammond from Chicago? Like three hours? Uh, four? No, like 40 minutes, 40 miles. Oh, close. It's right outside of the city. Oh, yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Although it could have just been coronavirus shelter. I don't think it was coronavirus. But it could have been. Dave. Could have been. been ahead could of the times. Out of the times. <laughs> On December 30th, 1977, Gacy abducted 19-year-old student Robert Donnelly from a Chicago bus stop at gunpoint. Gacy drove Donnelly to his home, where Donnelly was raped, tortured, and repeatedly had his head dunked into a bathtub until he passed out. As Gacy verbally tormented him with statements such as, quote, aren't we playing fun games tonight? (laughs) Donnelly later testified at Gacy's trial that he was in such pain that he asked Gacy to just kill him. Gacy replied with, quote, I'm getting around to it. After several hours, Gacy drove Donnelly to his workplace and released him, first warning him if he complained to the police, they would not believe him. This is weird that he just let this kid go. He just didn't feel like killing that night or what? I guess not. I don't know. It's strange. He just let him go. It is very strange. Donnelly reported the assault and Gacy was questioned by the police on January 6, 1978. Gacy admitted to having, quote, slave sex with Donnelly, but insisted that everything was consensual, adding that he, quote, didn't pay the kid the money he had promised him. The police believed him and no charges were filed. This is kind of like the Dahmer stuff where they took the kid, you know, back to Dahmer. I know that when we get to that, that is that is one of the most frustrating things of that story, because they they give that kid back to Dahmer and then there's the the radio recording of the cops talking and they're just joking about it like yep. like oh it's it's so funny gay people are hilarious yep. and then Dahmer killed that kid yeah, about right. an hour or so later yeah upcoming future Necronomicon pod episode the following month Gacy killed 19 year old William Kendred who disappeared on February 16th 1978 after telling his fiance who knew Gacy 
that he was going to spend the evening at a bar. Kindred was the final victim to be buried in Gacy's crawl space because Gacy had ran out of room. Can you imagine? Jesus Christ. No, I could not, actually. My crawl space is full. Too many bodies. And he had them layered, too. Like, he had that dug out and ready to go. On March 21st, 1978, Gacy lured 26-year-old Jeffrey Rignall into his car. Upon entering the car, he was chloroformed and driven to the house on Somerdale, where his arms and head were restrained in a pillory device connected to the ceiling. He was then raped and tortured with various instruments, including lit candles and whips, and repeatedly chloroformed into unconsciousness. Rignall was then driven to Lincoln Park, where he was dumped, unconscious, but alive. And he was later informed that the chloroform had permanently damaged his liver. Damn. So it's another one that he just let go for some reason. I wonder what his criteria is. He's just probably not thinking straight at this point. Who knows what's going through his mind? Yeah, Unless I mean, he's he thought been he was a... dead. He might have thought this guy was dead. Hmm. That's possible, too. He was unconscious. He had chloroformed him, yeah. raped him, you know, whatever else. He might have just thought this guy was done and dumped his body. Yeah, because now he doesn't have any more space to bury him, so right. he's got to start dumping. Rignall managed to stagger to his girlfriend's apartment. Police were again informed of the assault, but did not investigate Gacy. Rignall was able to recall the Oldsmobile, the Kennedy Expressway, and particular side streets. He and two friends staked out the Cumberland exit of the expressway when in April Rignall saw the Oldsmobile, which he and his friends followed to 8213 West Somerdale. Police issued an arrest warrant, and Gacy was arrested on July 15th. He was facing an impending trial for battery against Ringnall when he was arrested. Okay, so that's a start. Well, I just like how it takes this this young guy and his friends to fucking do the police work here. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, they tracked him down, right? Good work. Yeah. So I mean, he- if it was me, I probably would have tracked him down and fucking killed him. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, I don't know. Fuck, man, I don't disagree. Like we said, the crawl space could store no further bodies. Gacy later confessed to the police that he initially considered storing bodies in his attic, but had been worried of complications arising from, quote, excessive leakage. Oh, like dripping from the ceiling? fucking disgusting, man. Yeah, well, and remember in part one, he, he he stored the one kid in the closet, and he said that there was the body fluids leaking from his mouth and nose that were staining the carpet. You know, coincidentally, that was uh, one of Mike's nicknames in college, excessive leakage, because he blew such <laughs> he blew such big loads. The girls would go to class and they would drip uh, drip uh, puddles of jizz out on the floor. That is one hundred percent true. I, that's a true story. I think Dave spoke to some of those girls. That's how he got that I, information. I interviewed him yeah. when I was researching yeah. your college nicknames. Yep. Like, oh yeah, excessive leakage. He filled me up. I, I go to class. It's running down my leg all over the floor. Sitting there in uh, world history. That's what that would have happened now. Or nursing or, you know. I think a couple of people slept on their way out of class and ended up suing the college and uh, making big settlement. <laughs> yep. Can't sue me. It's not my responsibility. It's not your fault. Once it leaves my body, it's not my responsibility. You don't own the jizz anymore. I don't. It's theirs at that sure. point. Do they, with it what you want. They took ownership of Do it. Do with it what you want, ladies. Agree. <laughs> Fucking gold mine around campus. <laughs> if you can get some of that, you were a made woman. <laughs> well, because Gacy had ran out of space in the crawl space, he chose to dispose of his victims off the I-55 bridge into the Des Plaines River. Gacy stated he had thrown five bodies into the river in 1978, one of which he believed had landed on a passing barge. 
and only four of these five bodies were ever found. Fuck, who knows where that barge went? The body probably went to fucking China or something, right? Yeah, that's crazy. We'll be right back. We like to drink beer. A lot of it. After a long night of drinking and talking crime and conspiracies, there's nothing that wakes us up and gets us ready to start the day better than just brew coffee. With a great selection of roast levels to choose from, you're guaranteed to find one that suits your style. Small batch roasted to highlight the unique features of each coffee bean, Just Brew Coffee caters to both casual and hardcore coffee drinkers alike. Since 2010, Just Brew Coffee has worked tirelessly to perfect the roasting process and technique, which has resulted in seriously delicious, always flavorful, and never bitter tasting coffee. If you're already drinking JBC, raise your mug. If you're not, raise your standards. Check out their online store at youjustbrew.com and up your coffee game today. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your order of two pounds or more. And remember, they roast, you just brew. Today's episode of Necronomapod is brought to you by Beardology. There are a lot of imitators out there, but there's only one place I buy my beard oil. Beardology beard oil nourishes your skin and won't leave you with that greasy feel. With over 17 cents available in their extensive product line, I trust my beard to Beardology. You can find Beardology at Beardology.co. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your purchase. Beardology, discover the best way to avoid the shave. The first known victim thrown off the I-55 bridge into the Des Plaines River was 20-year-old Timothy O'Rourke. He was killed in mid-June 1978 after leaving his Dover Street apartment to purchase cigarettes. Shortly before his disappearance, he had told his roommate that a contractor on the northwest side had offered him a job. Here's one more fucking thing linking up. <laughs> Everyone around town, yeah, this contractor is killing people. This contractor <laughs> offered me a job. I'm going to see this contractor. <laughs> this fat contractor with a with a mustache who's it's PDM. It's like a hundred people in town that know he did it. Yeah, it's 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 fucking crazy. On November 4th, 1978, Gacy killed 19-year-old Frank Langan. His naked body was found in the Des Plaines River in Shanahan on November 12th. On November 24th, 1978, a 20-year-old Elmwood Park resident, James Mazera, disappeared after sharing Thanksgiving dinner with his family, having informed his sister Annette that he was working in, a construct- in the construction industry and, quote, doing all right. He was last seen alive walking in the direction of Bughouse Square, carrying a suitcase. On the afternoon of December 11, 1978, Gacy visited the Nissan Pharmacy in Des Plaines to discuss a potential remodeling deal with the store owner, Phil Torf. While Gacy was within earshot of a 15-year-old part-time employee, Robert Peist, he mentioned that his firm often hired teenage boys at a starting wage of five per hour, almost double the pay Peist earned at the pharmacy. It's like minimum wage at this time was like two sixty five an hour. Five dollars an hour. So that's a great deal. I mean he's yeah. using it yeah. to lure people. I'd for fucking sure. go work for the him, you know, not knowing what he would do yeah. to you. Shortly after Gacy left the pharmacy, Pice's mother arrived at the store to drive her son home so the family could celebrate her forty sixth birthday together. Pice asked his mother to wait, adding, quote, some contractor wants to talk to me about a job. He left the store at 9 p.m., promising to return shortly. Pice was murdered shortly after 10 p.m. at Gacy's home. Gacy later stated that at his house, he asked Pice whether there was anything he, quote, wouldn't do for the right price, to which Pice replied he did not mind working hard. 
In response, Gacy stated, quote, good money could be earned by hustling, although Pice was dismissive of this statement. Gacy then tricked Pice into putting on handcuffs before stating, quote, I'm going to rape you and you can't do anything about it, as Pice began to cry. He also stated that he placed the tourniquet around Pice's neck, the boy, quote, crying scared. Gacy also admitted to having received a phone call from a business acquaintance as Pice lay dying, suffocating on his bedroom floor. That's just heartbreaking, this this one. Ugh. Yeah, that's yeah and I don't know. His recollections of the kid crying and stuff, it's like that. Eh. Which probably happened in more of these situations, but for whatever reason, this is the one that he remembered that he told, yeah. right? Like, I would imagine this yeah. happened more often than not with some of these kids. I'm sure. When Pice failed to return, his family filed a missing persons report on their son with the Des Plaines police. Torf named Gacy as the contractor Pice had most likely left the store to talk with about, about the job. Oh, but finally, somebody. <laughs> yeah. Lieutenant Joseph Kozenzak, whose son, like Pice, had attended Maine West High School, chose to investigate Gacy further. Finally, so, someone did, right? Yeah, finally, one of these cops decided to do All it. All it took was one person to like start it. And then, motherfucker, you're going to find some shit. Mm -hmm. Having spoken with Pice's mother on the morning of December 12th, Kozenzak became convinced Pice had not run away from home. A routine check of Gacy's criminal background revealed he had an outstanding battery charge against him in Chicago and had served a prison sentence in Iowa for the sodomy of a 15-year-old boy. So, so last week we talked about that Iowa file being sealed completely when he when he left and when his parole was up but apparently it was not sealed somehow this guy got a hold yeah. somehow this guy got a hold of it whether he had an in with someone out in, in iowa or whatever but yeah thank goodness right yeah Kozenzak and two other des plains police officers visited gacy at his home the following evening gacy indicated he had seen two boys working at the pharmacy and he asked one of them who he believed to be Peist whether any remodeling materials were present in the rear of the store. He was adamant, however, that he had not offered Pice the job and had only returned to the pharmacy shortly after 8 p.m. as he had left his appointment book at the store. Gacy promised to come to the station later that evening to make a statement confirming this, indicating he was unable to do so at the moment as his uncle had just died. When questioned as to how soon he could come to the police station, he responded, Quote, you guys are very rude. Don't you have any respect for the dead? This fucking guy. Pretty bold. <laughs> at 3.20 a.m., Gacy, covered in mud, arrived at the police station, claiming he had been involved in a car accident. Upon returning to the police station later that day, Gacy denied any involvement in the disappearance of Pice and repeated that he had not offered him a job. When asked why he had returned to the pharmacy, Gacy repeated his claim that he had done so in response to a phone call from Torf informing him he had left his, his appointment book at the store. Detectives had already spoken with Torf, who stated he had placed no such call to Gacy. At the request of detectives, Gacy prepared a written statement detailing his movements on December 11th. I mean, the balls on this guy to show up at 3.20 in the middle of the night you know, just covered, covered in, in mud and we all know what he's yeah. doing. Yeah. Like if this is me, I'm but, but coming in a time, suit with my attorney and I'm saying, yes, time, sir. Yes, ma'am. He's been doing this for years and yeah. they've just overlooked him. Like he's untouchable in his mind. Man, that is just crazy. Like literally everything points to him and no one's been investigating him yet. So yeah, you're going to, you want to question me about murder. I'm showing up bulletproof. <laughs> yeah. And especially he had the money to be bulletproof. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? His cockiness, arrogance, which is like we see the downfall of just about all these people. Suspecting Gacy may be holding Peist against his will at his home, Des Plaines police obtained a search warrant for Gacy's house on December 13th. This search of Gacy's property revealed several suspicious items, including several police badges and a 6mm Bravada starter pistol inside an office drawer, and a syringe and hypodermic needle inside a cabinet in Gacy's bathroom. Investigators also found handcuffs, books on homosexuality and pederasty, seven pornographic films, capsules of amyl nitrate, and an 18-inch dildo in Gacy's bedroom. A 39-inch long 2x4 with two holes drilled into each end, bottles of Valium and atropine, and several driver's licenses were found in the northwest bedroom. A blue hooded parka was found atop a toolbox inside the laundry room and underwear too small to fit Gacy was located inside a bathroom closet. So nothing much. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Jesus. In the Northwest bedroom, investigators found a, a main high school ring, but the ring was not Peist. This ring was a class of 1975 ring engraved with the initials J.A.S., a photo receipt from Nyson Pharmacy was also recovered from a trash can alongside a section of nylon rope measuring 36 inches. All right. <laughs> Gacy's Oldsmobile and other PDM work vehicles were confiscated by the Des Plaines police, who assigned two two-man surveillance teams to monitor Gacy on a rotational 12-hour basis as they continued their investigation into his background and potential involvement in Pice's disappearance. These surveillance teams consisted of officers Mike Albrecht and David Hashmeyer and Ronald Robinson and Robert Schultz. The following day, investigators received a phone call from Michael Rossi, who informed investigators both of Gregory Godzik's disappearance and the fact that another PDM employee, Charles Hatula, had been found drowned in the Illinois River earlier that year. It's all piling on now. This is just yeah. absurd. It, it, absurd. It really is. Like, the next paragraph should be, so they arrested John Wayne Gacy, he was found guilty, and sentenced to death. And then, and then that's it, right? Like, we're, the story's done. There should not be a part three. Yeah, no. There's a whole other fucking part to this. Well, hold hold the presses. Are you advocating for the for uh, Gacy to be executed, Mike? No, but in this time frame, that's oh, what happens. Oh, okay. I mean, that's just what happens. I just, I just want to make sure yeah. I understood you. Based on past stories we've done, that's typically what this country does. We just like to kill people. Well, that's true. On December 15th, Des Plaines investigators obtained further details on Gacy's battery charge. Learning the complaint, Jeffrey Rignall had reported that Gacy had lured him into his car, then chloroformed, raped, and tortured him before dumping him with severe chest and facial burns and rectal bleeding. <sighs> In an interview with Gacy's former wife the same day, investigators learned of the disappearance of John Buktovich. Also that same day, the Maine West High School ring was traced to a John Allen Zick. An interview with Zick's mother revealed that several items from her son's apartment were also missing, including a Motorola TV set. On December 16th, Gacy started getting really bold with surveillance detectives, regularly inviting them to join him for meals in restaurants and occasionally for drinks in bars or even inside his house. Hey, come on in. There's nothing in the crawl space. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's fucking shit. crazy. I'm on a like, fucking plane to a non-extradition country at this point. This guy's nuts. Yeah, they like the stories were like that. He would just, you know, he would he knew what car they were in. He would just drive up to him and say, "Hey guys, you want to go in and get some food and hang mm. out?" 
crazy. Well, and they're cops, so when they get free food, so of course they're going to go, right? <laughs> oh, goddamn. Okay. <laughs> he repeatedly denied that he had anything to do with Pice's disappearance and accused the officers of harassing him because of his political connections or because of his recreational drug use. Knowing these officers were unlikely to arrest him on anything trivial, he openly taunted them about flouting traffic laws and succeeded in losing his pursuers on more than one occasion. So he would just fucking like run red lights and shit because he just knew they yeah, weren't going to arrest him on, on something. Yeah. Yeah. They only get you and kill you if you pass a bad $20, $20 bill, not if you fucking murder 50 people. Because, you know. That afternoon, Cram consented to a police interview in which he described Gacy's open-minded attitude regarding sex between males and his workaholic lifestyle. Cram also told that on one occasion, due to his poor timekeeping, Gacy had given him a watch explaining he had obtained the item, quote, from a dead person. On December 17th, investigators conducted a formal interview with Michael Rossi, who informed them Gacy had sold Zick's vehicle to him with the explanation that he had bought the car from Zick because Zick needed money to move to California. A further examination of Gacy's Oldsmobile was conducted on this date as well. In the course of examining the trunk of the car, investigators discovered small clusters of fibers which may have been human hair. These fibers were then sent out for further analysis. That evening, officers conducted a test using three trained German Shepherd search dogs to determine whether Peist had been present in any of Gacy's vehicles. The dogs were allowed to examine each of Gacy's vehicles, where one dog approached Gacy's Oldsmobile and laid on the passenger seat, in which the dog handlers informed investigators that was a, quote, death reaction, indicating that the body of Peist had been present in the vehicle. Oh, shit. Wow. Getting closer. Yeah. Somehow we still have a part three. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm about to read here is so fucking bold and crazy with all this going on. You got search dogs are taking all your shit. That evening, Gacy invited the surveillance detectives, Albrecht and Hashmeister, to a restaurant for a meal. In the early hours of December 18th, he invited them into another restaurant where over breakfast he talked about his business, his marriages, and his activities as a registered clown. At one point during the conversation, Gacy said, quote, you know, clowns can get away with murder. It's so, so is he... Go ahead. No, I am. Is he arrogant at this point, or was he, like, maybe drunk? Because if they, we're talking the early hours of the morning, so, like, my thought is he took them to dinner, they had drinks all night, and then they went to, like, breakfast when the sun was coming up. Was he just being drunk and bold, as we're about to talk about here just shortly? Or does he realize he's burnt at this point and he's just all out you think zero he's fucks in? anymore? Like zero fucks or like wanting to get caught? I don't know. He's got to realize I, he's burnt at this point, right? You Unless he's just that arrogant that he feels or that drunk, he can or get drunk. away with it. Or drunk. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy's drinking. I, I think Ian's going to talk about here in a minute. Like he's stressed. He's drinking. Maybe he wants to get caught just to be done with it. Also, what's a registered clown? Like, is there an underground unregistered clown where you get like cutthroat deals on your kids' yeah. parties? And... Well, if you're unregistered, you're a juggalo. It's <laughs> <That's> ridiculous. <laughs> it's not ridiculous. You stop it. I don't want those juggalos coming after us. They're fine individuals. Yep. I'm one of them. That's true. With this mustache I'm looking at right now. Hey. <laughs> Switch. I put my clown makeup on next week. 
By December 18th, Gasty was beginning to show visible signs of strain as a result of the constant surveillance. He was unshaven, looked tired, appeared anxious, and was drinking heavily. That afternoon, he drove to his lawyer's office to prepare a $750,000 law or civil suit against the Des Plaines police demanding they stop their surveillance. Well, and he was in the... He was... That's what he should do because they have no evidence on him. They're just harassing him, clearly. <laughs> right. <laughs> that same day, the serial number of the Nyson Pharmacy photo receipt found in Gacy's kitchen was traced to 17-year-old Kim Byers, a colleague of Peist at the Nyson Pharmacy, who admitted when contacted in person the following day, she had worn the jacket on December 11th to shield herself from the cold and placed the receipt in the parka pocket just before she gave the coat to Peist as he left the store to talk with a contractor. So a direct physical link, finally. Yeah. Bam, motherfucker. <laughs> Byers was adamant the contractor had lured Peist from the store as Peist had said to her, quote, the contractor guy wants to talk to me. I'll be right back. This revelation con contradicted Gacy's previous statements that he had no contact with Robert Peist on the evening of December 11th. Also in that evening, Michael Rossi interviewed for a second time. On this occasion, Rossi was more cooperative, informing detectives in the summer of 1977, Gacy had him spread 10 bags of lime in the crawl space of his house. Oh, you forgot that part the first time, pal? <laughs> 10 bags <laughs> of lime in the crawl space? <laughs> right. Wonder what that could be used for. On December 19th, investigators began compiling evidence for a second search warrant of Gacy's house. The same day, Gacy's lawyers filed the civil lawsuit against the Des Plaines police. The hearing of the suit was scheduled for December 22nd. That afternoon, Gacy again invited surveillance detectives inside his house. On this occasion, as Officer Robinson distracted Gacy with conversation, Officer Schultz walked into Gacy's bedroom in an unsuccessful attempt to write down the serial number of the Motorola TV set they suspected belonged to John Zick. While flushing Gacy's toilet, this officer noticed a smell he suspected that could be of rotting corpses emanating from the heating duct. The officers who previously searched Gacy's house had failed to notice this, as on that occasion, the house had been cold. That had to be a pleasant smell. Oh, Fucking gross. Sounds like probable cause to me. I don't know. That Yeah, that sounds like you should be in handcuffs right then and there. Yeah, that's it. Are they worried? Like, they know he's the guy at this point. Do they worry that doing anything without a warrant jeopardizes the case. I guess I could see that. Yeah, like they want it they want it like it's just a solid case yeah. that he can't fight. Yeah. Still, I you're mean, flushing a toilet and you're smelling fucking rotting corpses. Ugh. I mean, at this point they have to know he's the guy, you know. I'm pretty sure they do. That's just a matter yeah. of putting the case together, right? Yeah. Both David Cram and Michael Rossi were interviewed by investigators on December 20th. Rossi had agreed to be interviewed in relation to his possible links with John Zick, as well as the disappearance of Robert Peist. When questioned by Cozen Zack as to where he believed Gacy had placed Peist's body, Rossi replied, quote, in the crawl space. He could have put him in the crawl space. You think? A polygraph test showed his responses to questions to be inconclusive. However, upon agreeing to a subsequent visual test in which a map of Cook County was divided into 12 grid sections numbered 1 to 12, with Gacy's home marked in the fourth grid section, Kozenzak noted an extreme response in Rossi's blood pressure when asked, quote, Is the body of Robert Peist buried in grid number four? 
Upon hearing this question, Rossi refused to continue the polygraph questioning, although he did discuss further his digging trenches in the crawl space and remarked upon Gacy's insistence that he not deviate from where he was instructed to dig. Man, that is scary That's shit, right? fucking weird. It's like the whole crawl space was probably already filled up. He's like, you can only dig in this one little spot here, right? So you, you deviate, yeah, you're going to come across left. bodies. Yeah. All that's left. Or do we think this guy knew all along? There's a, there's suspicion that this Michael Rossi kid knew mm. what was going on here and was one of the accomplices. Ugh. And that's the thing about the accomplice aspect of this story is it would be so easy to make these kids accomplices. You know, you could he could easily say, like, tell them what was going on or something or have them dig the crawl space and then afterwards be like, you know what, you just comply you you're complicit in this now, so you better shut the fuck up and that's do a, what I tell you that's to a do. Good, it's a very good point. And sure. then also just pay them something, you know, if this guy was loaded, so Yeah. Pay him and then they're and... young kids and they're scared. Sure. Cram informed investigators of Gacy's attempts to rape him in nineteen seventy six and stated that after he and Gacy had returned to his home after the December thirteenth search of his property, Gacy had turned pale upon noticing a clot of mud on his carpet, which he had suspected had come from his crawl space. Cram then stated Gacy had grabbed a flashlight and immediately entered the crawl space looking for evidence of digging. Holy shit. When asked whether he had been in the crawl space, Cram replied he had once been asked by Gacy to spread lime down there and also dug trenches upon Gacy's behest with the explanation they were for drainage pipes. Cram stated these trenches were two feet wide, six feet long, and two feet deep. Uh, that's about enough to fit a body. Just about. On the evening of December 20th, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office in Park Ridge to attend a pre-scheduled meeting he had arranged with them, ostensibly to discuss progress in his civil suit. Upon his arrival, Gacy appeared disheveled and immediately asked for his drink, so his lawyer, Sam Amarante, got a bottle of whiskey from his car. Upon his return, Amarante asked Gacy what he had to discuss with them. Gacy picked up a copy of the Daily Herald from Amarante's desk he pointed to the front page article covering the disappearance of Robert Peist and informed his lawyers, this boy is dead. He's in the river. Do we think Gacy showed up to the office drunk? Like, or was he just so stressed out that he just wanted to make that accusation or, or, or just come clean about what, uh, what happened to the Robert Peist? Peist? I, I'm, I think maybe he probably showed up drunk for what's about to happen yeah. here. In this, then asked in for another drink bits. and then just kind of spelled it out. Yeah. Well, as you were, continue. Over the following hours, Gacy gave a rambling confession that ran into the early hours of the following morning. He began by informing Amarante and Stevens that he had, quote, been the judge, jury, and executioner of many, many people, and that he now wanted to be the same for himself. He stated most of his victims were buried in, the crawl, in his crawl space and others in the Des Plaines River. Gacy dismissed his victims as, quote, male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars to whom he, quote, gave the rope trick, adding that he occasionally awoke to find, quote, dead strangled kids on his floor with their hands cuffed behind their back. He had buried their bodies in his crawl space as he believed, quote, they were my property. Ouch. Damn. As a result of the alcohol he had consumed, Gacy fell asleep midway through his confession and Amarante immediately arranged a psychiatric appointment for Gacy at 9 a.m. that morning. Upon waking up several hours later, Gacy simply shook his head when informed by Amarante he had 
earlier confessed to killing approximately 30 people, stating, quote, Well, I can't think about this right now. I've got things to do. Ignoring his lawyer's advice regarding his scheduled appointment, Gacy left their office to attend to the needs of his business. And that is where we will pick back up on part three. He's like, eh, I was only joking. I was drinking. I had a little <laughs> oh, too much to drink. Fellas. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I was telling stories. Come on. If you're also, if you're his attorneys, if you're his attorneys, a psychiatric evaluation, like the next morning after an extreme hangover, like motherfucker, I'd be committed after an extreme hang <laughs> when I had a hangover. If you're going to try to, you know, get me evaluated like or assessed, leave me the fuck alone. That just doesn't seem right. Like that quickly right after. What if Gacy had went out and killed someone else that morning? Do they bear any legal responsibility for not having contacted authorities based on an imminent threat of future criminal activity? Well, I don't. You mean after he left their office when he sobered up? Yeah. Or does the attorney-client privilege protect you in this scenario and you're not required to report the felony? In all fairness, he was drunk. You might just assume, or you could play the card, he's just a drunk guy. Like He's like Patrick Bateman, an American psycho, when he that's true. called his attorney and left was like, a hey, great joke, Patrick. <laughs> I was cracking up. It's a wild... Uh, American psycho, fantastic movie. Yeah. This, this yeah. is a story, man. I don't Next week, we'll get into the surveillance team finally closing in on him, him getting arrested, and the trial and all that stuff. Right? I feel like it should have happened this part. It just didn't. <laughs> they fucking yeah. let this thing drag out with all this evidence. All right, Ian, you got anything else to uh, wrap up this part with? Nope, I got nothing else. Dave, what do you got? I know you got something. Hell of a story, Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> He's back. That's all I got. He's back. We got some new patrons this this uh, week. Thank you very much to Mark Tully, Lindy Chapman, Abraham Guardo, Tiffany Bollinger, Rebecca Emmerich, Scott Martell, Jessica Weber, J.D. Brucker, Don Peterson, Kristen, Ali Hobensack, Holden Garmany, Richard Novetta, Thomas Hunt, and Reese Theberge. Appreciate you guys very much. We are at patreon.com slash necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? Anything for us tonight? For iTunes, I have one for Awesomeberg19, Caleb GE, Jimmy Troy, Mommy Des, and Missy Town. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Appreciate it. Dave, any last shout outs from your end? Uh, no, I got nothing. Just fuck off, everybody. You don't give a shit. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> All right, we are at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube at Necronomapod. Appreciate your guys' support. Um, we'll be back next week for part three of uh, John and Jason. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>